Okay, let's learn Pashas Mishpatim. Okay, now Mishpatim, even though I just said we have a, a fun, uh, a fun shear for today, Mishpatim is generally not affiliated with that. I, I've told the story many times, but it actually fits perfectly with what I wanted to start today with, and that is uh, when I was in Atlanta, my first week in Atlanta, when I moved many years ago, 20 years ago or so, uh, to Atlanta, so I ended up in the mechanic because, you know, when you go to the cars, you need all sorts of things, you know, when you move to a new state. So I'm in the, uh, in the car shop and uh, the mechanic waiting uh, and some uh, a fellow uh, moseys on up to me and says, uh, you, you're a rabbi. <laughs> said, this is my like, first Southern experience. I'm like, literally, we just moved in. And I said, uh, absolutely, I am, I am. I, I couldn't hide it. So he said, he said I'm not Jewish. He says, I love reading the Bible, he said to me. I said, great, that's so nice, that's so nice. He said, I read it every night before I go to sleep. That's great, that's great. He says, my favorite part, I get, I, re- I start from the beginning, I read all the stories, tells me in his great southern accent, and I read right up to, he said, uh, um, Exodus 22, right up to Exodus 22, and then I like grind to a halt, and then I start over again. So I said, that's so cute. So what, that's our parsha, Mishpatim. We get through all the stories of Bereshis and Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov, and then Shmos, all the stories. It's like so fun. And then you get all these laws. There are 53 mitzvahs in the beginning of our parsha, just one after another, and the cows, and goring, and you dig a pit, and this one falls in, and who pays? And it's like, it's like that's not exciting. That's not interesting. So like that, that, I always remind like, yeah, that's exactly right. Like we have to, we have to get through the whole thing. But like, yeah, if you could start from back in the stories again, that would be great. Like that's the fun part, but that's our partial. But we're not doing any of those laws. All of that like grind, I'm skipping over it too. We're not doing it. Because at the end of that 53 consecutive mitzvahs, one after another, after another, the beginning of our parasha, the Torah then in Perak Chavdal, we're going to go to page 440, circles back about to the episode of standing at the foot of Har Sinai. And I want to learn these 11 psukim with you. This is a very complicated series of 11 psukim. They're not simple. We're not even going to get through all of it. I really want to get to the very last line. Because what we're going to discuss is the relationship that we have to food. Yes, that is going to be the topic. How we relate. Because there is a fascinating dynamic in the, the relationship that we have to food and how we look at it, how we relate to it in terms of where, where we place it. Now in the laws of food, when we think about like Jews and food, so we right away think about a couple of different things. First we think about the laws of kashras, obviously, and then we think about all sorts of jokes that we always make when it comes to Jews and food. And the nature of where that comes from is really, really Old. It goes way before Jackie Mason ever came up with any routines about uh, coffee and cake. We, we already have these, this dynamic about how we relate to food. We fought, we won, let's see. Exactly. I was, everybody knows. If I was, I was going to, you stole my thunder. I was just like, we, right, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Right, that, but it goes even back before that. It goes back before that. And what I want to share with you is a dispute, a machlokas, between two giants, Rashi and the Ramban, how to read a, the last verse that we're going to study tonight, which frames this 
love-hate relationship that we have with food, with the jokes and all of that. Um, and it's, it really, it blew my mind when I first saw it. So we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll learn it. We'll cover it, uh, God willing, uh, together. When we think of kashras, what are the three main components of kashras? Animal. Okay, so we have, we have milk and meat. The animal. Which animal can you and can't you eat? So let's put, right, which fish and animals you can eat. So component number one is, well, what can and can't you eat? Which animals and fish are allowed and which animals and fish are not? Okay, that's one. Then we have within the ones that are okay, what you cannot eat it with. So I can eat this animal, but I can't eat it with... With dairy, with ice cream, with cheese. Okay, so I have what I can and can't eat. I have what I can and can't eat it with. And then the third component is even within the animals or the fish that I can eat is how do they have to be prepared? So there could be with fish, of course, that does not apply. There's no such concept of shechita by fish, but with animals it is. So even if I have a kosher animal, a cow, but if I were to go out to my field, if I were a farmer and the cow had just died the night before, that meat is not allowed to be eaten because it wasn't shechted appropriately. So I have these three major components to the laws of kashrus. I have which animals can I and can't I eat? The animals that I can eat, how do I prepare it to be able to eat it? And then once I have animals that have been prepared in a way that I can eat it, what can or can't I eat it with? Those would be the three major components. If you were to choose, which would be the first one? In our partial, we're going to get to two of those three laws. Wait, what would be the first uh, out, of the th- out of those three components? Which ones you can or can't eat? What, how you prepare it and what you can eat it with? And you are going to begin to teach the Jewish people the laws of Kashras. Which, which would you start with? Which one of those three components? What you can or can't eat, right? That makes the most sense. Which raises a question, when Hashem does this, He does the opposite. That's the last one that He teaches. Very odd. But that's not even our topic for tonight. The first one that He teaches is no nope. how to prepare it that's the first one that if you find an animal in the field that has been killed by another animal or that just died even if it's a kosher animal can't eat it if it wasn't slaughtered in the appropriate manner that's the first law that's taught there's an introduction it's in our parsha but i want to keep flipping back and forth there's an introduction to that law that's the first law of kashras that we're taught that you cannot eat an animal that was like a trefo that was torn apart uh, in a field. The introductory phrase to all of the laws of kashrus, this first one is, Anche Kodesh Tihiyun Li. You must be, how would you translate Anche Kodesh? Holy. holy people. Be a holy people. So the introduction to the laws of kashrus are, you shall be a holy people. The Ramban discusses that the reason for that is, because all these other laws, all these details which we're, we're passing through of all these specifics of monetary law and who's responsible and tort law and all of that, if you want to be a holy people, there are two components to that. One is in your interpersonal re- relationships. You have to be holy in the way that you relate to people. You have to be appropriate. You have to be ethical and moral. But you cannot be a holy people if you're not also careful about what you eat. Because technically speaking, Ramban writes explicitly, Exactly, we're going to get there. That phrase also, you are what you eat, is an old, old phrase. The Ramban writes, you are what you eat. So if you eat shkotzim v'ramashim, if you eat the bugs and the, the types of animals that are predatory animals that we're not allowed to eat, 
that you are literally whatever you eat becomes the essence of your cells, your being, your who you are. And therefore, Anshe Kodesh, the way that we're going to treat what goes in has to be very careful about what goes in. Because whatever goes in is, is the essence of the physical body that we have. You are what you eat. You got to be careful. You got to be careful that everything is done in terms of what you do and don't eat, what you do and don't eat it with, and how you prepare the things that you eat. Because it all goes back to Anshe Kodesh Tihiyun Li. I want you to be a holy people. If you want to be a holy people, you have to be careful about what you eat. Okay. That's a brief introduction. Now let's get back. This, this, this chapter that we're going to study in itself is part of a big debate when this took place. Let's just do a brief synopsis of the chapter, and then we'll talk, tell you about what the debate is, and then we'll get to the verse that we're going to study. The synopsis of this chapter, the first 11 verses, discuss the call that Hashem gives to Moshe to come up to Harsinai. But when he calls Moshe to come up to Harsinai, we know that Moshe receives the Torah, he goes up alone. This call that we're going to read about, he calls not only Moshe alone, but Moshe together with his brother Aaron, Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Avihu, and the 70 elders. So there was like a whole entourage of 74 people that are called up the mountain on Harsinai, which we also know from last two weeks, Parsha, they had to make a fence around because you were not allowed to go up to the mountain. So it's going to be exactly, not clear exactly, but where were they going, this whole group? Because only Moshe was really allowed to go all the way up. But there's clearly somebody else, a whole group of Moshe, Aaron, Nadav, and Aviv, and the 70s of Canaan who are also going up. And they're going to see a vision. This group is going to go up. They're going to make a covenant with Hashem and the Jewish people which we'll see in a moment as well, and they're going to see a vision of Hashem himself. All of that's going to take place in this 11. The big debate is when this is taking place. Chronologically, if we read the Torah chronologically, which we sometimes do and sometimes don't, what happened last week's parsha? the big centerpiece of last week's parsha was the Aseris HaDibros, Parsha's Yisrael. Moshe is up on Harsinai and he teaches the Ten Commandments. That happened last. So chronologically, this call of, hey Moshe, come up, together with Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and the assembly, would have been taking place on the day, no, chronologically, if we read this, this chronologically, it would be after, on the following day. That is the way that the Ramban reads these psukim, as happening after the episode of last week's parsha. Rashi reads this as an example of where the Torah sometimes goes out of order, and for whatever reason, this actually took place before the giving of the Torah. That's not relevant to our discussion this morning, whether or not it happened right before or right after, We'll, we'll sort of say it both ways as we read through the verses. What is relevant is, we are at Har Sinai. Moshe is going up. We know that this is the holiest mount. Right now, Hashem's presence is there. It's either right before or right after. We can get debate why each one of the commentators sees it the way that he does. That's not relevant for us. But that's the context of what it is that we're about to learn. We've got to get to the very last verse, the 11th Pusik. And on that, we have some fascinating things to learn. Okay, all that back. Are ready to go? Let's do it. V'yel Moshe, so we're on page 440, Perak Chav Dalet. V'yel Moshe, Omar, to Moshe, Hashem said, Alei El Hashem, come up. But not just you alone. Ata ve'aharon, nadav ve'avio v'shivim izekne Yisrael, v'shtachav v'sem me'rachok. You together with Aaron Avio and the 70 elders, and you're going to bow down as you come from a distance. But there's this concept of Alei, go, go up. V'nigash Moshe levado el Hashem. But then, the very last bit, Moshe went 
himself. But they did not. So clearly at some point along the way, as they all ascended together, at some point, everyone else stops. Moshe alone continues up. Again, Rashi understands that this is describing the events prior to the giving of the Torah, where Moshe went up to receive the Torah. The Ramban understands that this is happening again the next day, a second time. It already happened yesterday. We're now being taught that the next day this is what happened. Be that as it may, let's keep going. But the group did not go up any further. And the nation, they certainly didn't go up. They had they put a boundary around the bottom of the, fen- the, the mountain. For sure, nobody else came up. Okay. But... Moshe then comes back down and he reports to the nation all that Hashem had told him. Again, this might either be right before the Gemitah or right after, but leaving that aside. And all the laws. And how do the people respond when they hear Moshe telling over a series of laws that he just received from Hashem? All of the nation responds and they say in one voice, Close, clear, right? Everyone reading carefully? It's not the full phrase. They say, we're in. Whatever Hashem says, we will do. Okay, we're going to get to the full phrase that you're familiar with in a moment, but it's not the first response that the people give. Moshe then writes down everything that he'd been told. Again, according to Rashi, that this is before Harsina, he wrote down the specific laws that they were told about just in the days leading up to Harsina. According to the Ramban, that this is happening after he wrote down everything that they had until now. All the Aserahs that they did, he wrote it all down. Either way, again, we're not focused on which exactly. He wrote down clearly something. By Ashkem Babokri, he wakes up the next morning. He's down on, he's now, he's down with the people. By even Mizbeach. He constructs a Mizbeach, an altar, Tacha Sahar, at the bottom of the foot of the mountain, and 12 uh, pillars. What are they translated at? 12 pillars, one for each of the tribes. Okay, so we're now the next morning, builds a Mizbeach, 12 of them, in fact, so that each Shevet has their representative, uh, Mizbeach, and then Vayishlachas Na'are Bnei Yisrael Vayalu Olos. And then he sends the youth to bring a carbon, a carbon ola. Now, anyway, how do they translate a carbon ola? What do they translate here as? An elevation offering. What's the, what's the distinction? What kind of carbon is in that? What do we do with the carbon ola? Anyone remember? What happens to it? Completely consumed. It's an elevation. It's a, you bring it and nobody eats of it. It's completely consumed. So they brought carbon ola on these 12 pillars that they constructed at the foot of the mountain. And then, they don't only bring a korban ola, they also brought a korban zvachim and a shlamim lahashem. What's the distinction of that kind of korban? What happens to that? It's eaten. Now, who ate it? Torah doesn't tell us yet. Just that they brought, but it says they brought two different types of korbanos. They brought a korban ola, everything is consumed, but they also brought... Zvachim. They also brought these korban shlamim, which are traditionally eaten when, it, in the, when the Beis Hamikdash stood, and a Jew would bring a korban shlamim. Part went to the kohen, part went to the Jew who brought it, and part went to the mizbech that was consumed on the mizbech. But if you brought a korban shlamim, you went home that night with a steak, a fresh steak that you would eat from that korban, not a korban ola. The korban ola elevation offering completely consumed. So they brought both at the foot of the mountain on these twelve pillars, each one set up for the 
each one of the tribes. Now, a little bit more. Vayikach Moshe chatzi adam. Moshe took a portion of the blood, literally would be half. Vayasen ba'aganoi put him in special bowls. Vechatzi adam zarak ala mezbech. So the other half, they sprinkled on the mezbech, which is what we're going to see in the Beis HaMikdash years later all the time. They would sprinkle blood on the mezbech. Half of it he put in a bowl from the, all of these offerings. Then he took the book of the covenant. Remember, there's a bris, there's a covenant taking place here between Hashem and the Jewish people. Moshe takes the Sefer Abris, and he calls it out, he reads it to the people. And now we get the famous phrase by Yomru, and they all say, after hearing the bris, after all of these sacrifices and karbanas were brought, it's the morning after, and they say, Kol Asher Diber Hashem. Okay, here's a famous phrase. We could have a whole shear on the value of this phrase. The Gemara talks about when the Jews said this phrase, like the angels in heaven trembled and they said, who revealed this great secret of Nasev and Nishma that we will do? And then we will say that this, this commitment, this touches what we spoke about last week. Remember we spoke about um, the mitzvah of Emunah is to know and to believe. Because you need both. You need to learn, you need to know, but you also need to believe more than what you know. Because if you only believe that which you know, you know, you're going to be limited by the little bit that we know. So you have to have both. And that's this nasev in it. We're going to do. I don't even know what you're asking of me, but I'm going to do it. And then, nishma, I'm going to learn. I don't want to just do blindly. I want to understand. But I'm going to do anyway, even if I don't understand. This is the, this is the motto of the Jewish people. Nasev and nishma. Okay, we can talk a lot about it, but that's not for us today. I do want to just point out, I heard from my, my colleague, Rabbi uh, Eitan Feiner, I heard it quoted in his name. Um, what chapter are we learning? 24, Chavdalet. What Pasuk does Nasev and Ishma appear in? Seven. So chapter 24, verse 7. 24, 7 is the source of Nasev and Ishma. So you want to like, cute little remember, like where, where do you find that? Because that's 24, 7. Every 24 days a week, uh, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, that's our, uh, that's our mark. Okay, that's cute. And as we pointed out many, many times, why is that only a cute thing, but that's, you know, where, where'd we get the number system of chapters and verses? Not from us. It's not ours. The Christians, when they printed their first Bible, when, when the Christians printed the first Bi- uh, Bible, when the printing press was created, they broke it down into the chapters and the verses. Well, that was never, we, we have parshas, and we have different books. The book of Bratius, Shmos, Vayikra, Devarim, Bamidbar, Devarim. We break that up into parshas and aliyahs. But uh, the chapter heading, that was, uh, the Christians did that. Um, yeah, so you know, the labeling, where the Pesukim are broken down is ours. That, that, that's ours, that we, where, where the end of a Pasuk is, but that we, we never labeled chapter 1, verse 3. It was Parsha's Shmos, you know, a Rishon, or a Shani, second Aliyah, third Aliyah. So, so the fact that it happens to be 24-7 is cute, but that's, uh, you know, it wasn't taught to Moshe and Harsinai as chapter 24, verse 7. Okay, in any case, moving forward. Moshe took the blood, the remaining blood, part of it was sprinkled on the Mizbeach, part of it was in the bowl. He took the other part of the bowl and he sprinkled it on the, uh, on the nation, as we find often right on the sprinkling of the blood from a sacrifice. And now the, the covenant has been sealed, uh, which I, you know, when they, when they teach this Maimon Harsina, this great moment in, in kindergarten, this part is always left out. We talk about the lightning and the thunder and Moshe coming down with the luchos, but the sprinkling of the blood, that somehow never is taught to the kindergarten students. But in any case, it was there. Torah says, and that was the covenant that was sealed in this great moment. Verse 9, And now we have another ascent. Remember, they went up yesterday. 
But the Torah says when they went up the day before, everybody else stopped at a certain point, and Moshe alone continued up. Then Moshe comes back down, reports back to the people about the Mishpatim, about the laws that he had learned, and all the people say, Nasa, and then they say, Nasa v'nishma, and then the next morning they build a Mizbeach, they big 12 pillars, they bring two different types of karbonos, the karbon ola, the karbon zvachim, and then they have the sprinkling of the blood, they make a covenant, and now, back up. Who goes up? Sounds like everyone. Vayal Moshe v'yaron, nada v'aviu, v'shivim mizeknei Israel. Sounds like everyone's going back up. Okay, last two psukim. Vayiru es elokei Yisrael. And they saw, they saw, they saw Hashem. Now that is a phrase alone which you do not see. Or I, don't, I can't say ever, but I feel pretty confident. That is not, when prophets would have a vision, that if they don't see Hashem. They get a vision of a message. This language, that we, which is not only applying to Moshe, but to Moshe and to Aharon and to Nadav and Aviu in the seventh, Vayiru Elokei Yisrael. That is, that's heavy. They saw, they saw the Elokei Yisrael. What did that look like? Vitachas raglav, and under his feet, kimaaselivnat hasapir, was like the likeness of sapphire brickwork. Ucheetzem hashamayim latohar, and it was like the essence of heaven in purity. I have no idea what any of that means. Yeah. <laughs> I like not even a clue. I, uh, so the Torah is giving us words that they saw the Eloke Israel directly. Not they had a vision. They saw Eloke Israel underneath his feet, which is obviously an anthropomorphism and that has no real bearing. Sapphire brickwork. And it was like the essence of heaven in purity. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. So the Torah describes what this vision was like. But I will say like this, would you, exp- would you say and describe this as a moment of holiness or of mundaneness? That, that's clear, right? Here we are. This is like, they saw Elokei Yisrael. They went up. Har Sinai, Kabbalah Satorah. Rashi tells us one little point that's worth sharing on this language of sapphire brickwork underneath his feet, which has no real, I don't even know what that means. The English words, I don't know what it means. Forget about the significance of it. But the Gemara understood from this that it was a reference of shibud, of, of servitude, that when the Jews, when the people were in the servitude of Mitzrayim, the phrase of imcha anochi bitzara, I Hashem says, like, I'm with you in your pain and suffering. When you were in exile, I am in exile. When you are out of your home, I feel like I'm out of my home. And this language of like the brick sapphire underneath his feet was somehow a reference to to something of like not being whole or complete, and that, that fits in with this idea. Okay, so wherever, wherever we go, Hashem goes with us, uh, waiting to be redeemed. We, we spoke about also in the past, this idea of Hoshana, when we daven for salvation, it's not for us. So Hashem, you're, you're stuck here with us also. We don't want to be here. We want to be home. And we yearn for your presence to go home too, because as long as we're not home, you're not home. So take us home, not for us. Take us home, we always say, for your sake, not for Leman Cha. Go home so that you could be home because we know that as long as we're in exile, you're in exile. Okay, all of that is this vision. Okay, now finally we get to our verse. Finally, ready. Now, our Pasuk. Pasuk, Yisrael lo shalach yado. 
against the great men of the children of Israel, he, capital H, Hashem, did not stretch out his hands. Now that language of shalach yedo, does that sound like a language of punishment or of blessing? If I say, I should have sent my hand against you. Punishment. It's punishment. punishment. That's a language. I, I did not send forth my hand means... I didn't, yeah, that's what it literally means, right? So when the Pasuk says, to the great ones amongst the Jewish people, he did not send forth his hand, means he did not punish. Which implies he could have or should have, but to the Atzilei B'nei Yisrael, he didn't. Rashi tells us that who are these Atzilei B'nei Yisrael, who are these um, great men? It's Aharon and Nadav and Avil, these great men who just came up the mountain as they come up and they see this vision of Hashem himself with the sapphire brickwork and purity of the heaven, he did not send forth his hand against them. And then the Pasuk concludes, They gazed, they gazed at God himself, and they ate and they drank. <laughs> Okay, now this eating and drinking sounds like, what, what were they eating and drinking up there? So it could have been from the carbonas that they ate, they, they brought the previous morning or day, which we don't know what happened to those. But they're up on Har Sinai, they gaze at God himself, and they eat and they drink. Appropriate or inappropriate? What's your gut reaction? What kind of day should that day have been as they ascend our Sinai? Hashem's presence is there. They see a vision in a way that's almost never described anywhere in Tanakh of Vayiru Esa Elohim. They saw God Himself. What should that, if you had to choose one day in the calendar that that would be like? It's Yom Kippur, obviously, right? That's a no-brainer. should be like Yom Kippur. And they ate and they drank. Here we're going to see two magnificent approaches to this Pasuk. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Rashi learns the way that we would have just started from. Rashi reads this Pasuk of, why does the Torah say, Lo shalach yado, that Hashem did not send forth His hand against them? Because He should have. Why should a hand have been stretched out against Aaron and Nadav and Avihu and the Shivim Zekenim? Because... They ate and drank. They're looking at Hashem Himself and they're eating and drinking. Rashi's language is, how you they looked at Him, believe gas, with an indulgent stomach, so to speak. From the midst of eating and drinking, they gazed at the Creator of heaven and earth. In the middle of eating, like past the spaghetti. Oh, there's the creator. You can't do that. He should have, sent, should have struck them down, but he didn't want to mar the moment. This moment of Kabbalah Sator, now Nadav and Aviyu will get it later when the Mishkan is constructed, but not now. Not now. What, what did they do wrong? How could you eat or drink? Yom Kippur is a day... It feels right, it feels right that we should go into Ne'ilah at the end of Yom Kippur, the sanctity, the most sanct- sanctified moment of the day. It feels right that we should go in fasting. Okay, can you imagine 
Like getting up from, like, let's say we had a lunch like we did on Shabbos. Like you got up from lunch, you know, from cholent and from the dessert and from maybe a l'chaim or two, and then going to Ne'ila, that's, that doesn't feel right. That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to go. It, it should be. Like a moment of sanctity should be when the Kohen Gadol is going to enter the Holy of Holies, the only time of year that any human being goes in there, it should be that he's fasting and we're all fasting. That feels, that's, that's right. That's a, we have to eat, yeah, but like not today. Today we remove ourselves from the physical and we focus on the spiritual. And Rashi sees that this language, they ate and they drank, yeah, yeah. I've given you all the laws of Kashrus and how to eat and when to eat and how to, but like, not now, not here, not today. Lo shalach he didn't say should have, didn't want to, but how could they, how could you eat in, in, in an irreverent, indulgent kind of way? That's how Rashi learns, which I think would, but, but yeah, that fits. However, the Ramban sees an entirely different understanding of this particular, this particular Pasuk. The Ramban says, the Ramban says, Lo shalach yado, that he did not send forth his hand. The reason why he did not send forth his hand is because the previous Pasuk had just said that Moshe Aronadar went up. But it didn't say how far they went up. So you might have thought that this second ascension was beyond what they did the previous day. So the Pasuk says, no, 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 he did not send forth his hand because they went up only to the areas that they were allowed to go up. They did not traverse the area that was off limits. So he did not send forth his hand, meaning they stayed within their boundaries. They didn't go up higher than they were allowed, even though Moshe went up higher the day before. When this group went up, he didn't send forth his hand because he didn't need to. That's what, that's, that's what the puzzle means he didn't send forth, because they were where they were supposed to be. And they ate and they drank. The Ramban says, She'asu simcha v'yantif. Why did they eat and drink? They made a holiday. They made a simcha and a yantif. Why should they make a simcha and a yantif? They got the Torah. They just got the Torah. And how do you celebrate an event? Make a party. I mean, let, let's be honest for a minute. If this was a Wednesday learn and not a Wednesday lunch and learn, I mean, would any of you be here? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, let's just say it. I mean, even, you would stay in your office doing work. Like, it's, it's a lunch. So when it's a, okay, I'll come for a lunch. Just to come, just to come for a learn. I, I don't know. Yesterday I did two events in Florida, right? One was a dinner. And one was a lunch. Why don't we say like, hey, your rabbi's coming from New York. He hasn't seen you in four months. We're just going to have a shear. Guess who would come to that? <laughs> Nobody. What do you mean? Just a shear? Oh, it's a dinner. Okay. It's a lunch. Okay, we can talk. The dinner you had to pay for, the lunch you didn't. We had more people at the lunch than we did at the dinner. Okay. That's all part of the equation. But it's built around food. Says the Ramban, Aaron, Nadav, the Shivim Zakanim, Nadav and Avihu, what, what were they? They were eating and drinking. They saw Hashem, and then they ate and they drank. Says the Ramban, Asu Simcha V'yantif. They made it into a party. Kichain Chova L'smoach B'Kabbalah Satora. Chova means? It's obligation. It's obligation. 
And they had an obligation to rejoice over receiving the Torah. Ramban brings three examples. Three examples from Tanakh where this is appropriate behavior. Number one, he says, we're gonna, we've read about in, in, in passages, when the Jews cross over the Jordan River the first time and enter into Eretz Yisrael, they were given a command to take large stones out of the Jordan River, which had split for them on the way in, and to inscribe on those stones the entirety of the Torah. The Pasuk says, when you do that, and you will write, when you write out all the words of the Torah on these stones, you will then bring korbanos. And what type of korbanos? And you will eat there. And you will rejoice. Says the Ramban, you rejoice. You just wrote out the entire Torah. You entered into the land of Israel. How do you celebrate? Should you, should you give a sheer on the new Torah that you just wrote out as you entered into the land? Well, that would be nice also. But what does the Torah actually say to do? You'll have meat and you will eat and you will rejoice. Shlomo Melech has a dream. He takes over for the throne of his father, David. He's a young boy. And Hashem comes to him in a dream and says, I'll give you anything you want. You tell me what you want, I will grant it to you. I can grant you wisdom, I can grant you wealth, I can grant you beautiful wives. What, you tell me what you want, I'll grant you anything you want. And what does Shlomo Melech ask for? Wisdom. wisdom. And he wakes up the next morning, and he realizes it was granted to him. He's now become the wisest person on earth. I ask you the following question. Imagine this is your life experience. You go to sleep one night, you have a dream, and God says to you, I'll, I'll grant you wisdom. I'll give it to you. And you say, great. He doesn't give you a choice because we know what we would choose. He doesn't give you a choice. He says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And you wake up in the morning. It worked. You could tell. I'm like three times as smart as it was the previous day. Tell me the first thing you're going to do that morning after awakening and realizing a lottery ticket is total chance and luck. Why would you buy a lottery You're the smartest person. Why would you buy a lottery ticket? How do you know the numbers? You want to play the stock market, okay, but buying a lottery ticket, you just became smart. So what, what would you do? What would you do? Like, you, have your, you have new wisdom. You're now the smartest person on earth. Right? Think, think about like, what, what to do with your newfound wisdom. Celebrate. So, so you know, one can make an argument that one would do something with their newfound wisdom. That would be appropriate. You know? So, like, go look for a do something. Like, you just... Right? So, uh, we can come up with all sorts of interesting things. Right? So, what does Shlomo Melech do on the morning he wakes up and discovers he's now the wisest person in, uh, in the known world. The Pasuk says, Wisdom, understanding has been granted to you. Miyad. Immediately. Immediately. He goes to Yerushalayim. And he makes a, a party for all of the, all of the officers of the town. He became the wisest person, and he makes a party. Says the Ramban, that's, that's what you do. When you have wisdom, a spiritual pursuit, you want to celebrate it, he made a mishta. And from there the Gemara derives, 
The Gemara derives a rule, which you're all familiar with. When you finish a Masechta and you make a Siyam, what's your obligation as part of your Siyam? <laughs> Funny thing, right? Have you, have you ever been to a Siyam where a person advises, I just finished, I finished learning, I'm going to give a shear, no food, just a shear, to celebrate, I want to share the wisdom that I have. Have you ever gone to a Siyam like that? Would you ever go to a Siyam like that? You don't have to answer that question. When you make a Siyam, celebrate with you. It's like, that's a strange thing. I just finished a spiritual pursuit. I learned God's Torah. I completed a piece of learning. I now want to celebrate. How do you celebrate? With food. And you're supposed to do that. What's the source that you're supposed to do that? Shlomo Melech did it. He gained all this wisdom. And the first thing that he does is he made a party in order to be able to celebrate this wisdom that he has. Third example says the, says the Ramban, when David Melech, who was not privileged to build the Beis HaMikdash, but he got the process started. He was one of the major fundraisers for the building of the Beis HaMikdash. The Pasuk says when he completed the fundraising and he now had the ability to construct the Beis HaMikdash, what did David Melech do to mark the occasion that he had completed the fundraising efforts of the Beis HaMikdash? You know exactly where this is going. It says by David, when he got all the money needed, they ate and they drank. Says the Ramban, you write out all of Torah, you enter into Eretz Yisrael, you're going to bring korbanos, but not the type of korbanos that are elevation offerings. You're going to bring the type of korbanos with fresh steak and vayochlu, you're going to eat. Finish a mesechta, you complete something, Shlomo Melech was, was given all of this great wisdom, how does he celebrate? Make a party. Dovod Melech completed his fundraising, we make a party. You just received the Torah. Says the Ramban, what do you think they should have done? They made a party. And this Pasuk, Lo Shalach Hashem did not send forth his because they stayed in the right area. Not that they were deserving, no. They stayed in the right area. They gazed and saw Hashem. They made a party because it was a simcha, it was a yantiv. These two approaches are the tension I find with which we live all the time. On the one hand, you have Rashi. Rashi telling us, you, you ate and drank in this moment of sanctity? You ate and drank in this moment on Harsina? You saw Hashem himself? And you, you had the audacity, the indulgence to eat and drink? How could you? So they, they, they clearly, they prepared. They brought it from, uh, from, their, uh, from down from the camp. So, that could be, it doesn't say, so I don't know. So Rashi sees in this, there's like a certain relationship that you have to have that's like not here, not now. This is not appropriate that I should be involved in something as a meaningless, mundane, as a tuna fish and egg salad and a slice of pizza and maybe even some cookies for dessert. How could you do that in a moment like that? And on the other hand, and I saw a lot of nods when we learned the first approach of like, yeah, yeah, of course, that makes sense. How could you eat and drink right there? And then you have the Ramban saying, they had a requirement, a chova. You must celebrate. How do you celebrate spiritual accomplishments? Eat and drink. It's part and parcel of who we are. We're physical beings. And in the same way, you know, that's what, you know, 
A meeting with lunch and a meeting without lunch is a different experience. A see him with food and a see him without food. You know, you go to a bar mitzvah, you go to a wedding. Can you imagine going without food? That's what brings, that's the joy, that's the celebration. And even when you're finishing learning, Shlomo Melech has wisdom. Celebrate with food. The Ramban says, you know where that started? At Har Sinai. In this great moment of Ayir Kim, they saw Hashem Himself. And they did not see a more fit way to acknowledge this great experience other than making a simcha and a yantiv. And these are the two sides. The Rashi side saying, be careful. Be so careful when you're celebrating with food because if it becomes overindulged, if it becomes inappropriate, if it becomes inebriated, you lost the whole thing. But on the other hand, that's how we celebrate. And there's this great balance, this dichotomy, this tension almost of celebrating with food, but always remembering to keep it in its place. And that's the introduction when the Torah begins, the laws of Kashras, Anshe Kodesh Tihiyunli, be Anshe, people of holiness. That's like literally it. Not, I don't want you to be angels. You have to eat. You have to live in this world. But make sure when you do so, that you're Anshe Kodesh, your people of holiness, that can find the way and the place to balance these two things of celebrating, celebrating with food, celebrating in a way that makes it Geshmak, and at the same time making sure that it's not you know, overindulged in a certain way that it loses that, uh, that, it loses that sense. Okay, those are the two approaches, Rashi Ramban, on, uh, on this post, I guess, to what took place on the uh, top of, uh, of Harsinai. All right, have a wonderful day.